0: Dr. R.J. Rushduni, RR 130C5, Laws of Covenant Membership, First Commandment, Exodus, X-12. Exodus 12, the Laws of Covenant
1: Membership. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, this month shall be unto you the beginning of month. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb according to the house of their fathers, a the lamb for a house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto the, his house take it according to the number of his souls. every man according to his eating, shall make your account for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats, And he shall keep it up until the fourteenth day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door posts of the houses, wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire, and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire, his head with his legs, and with the pertinences thereof. And ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remaineth of it until the morning ye shall burn with fire. And thus shall ye eat it, with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And he shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you, and I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial, and ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. Ye shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. Seven days shall ye eat unleavened bread. Even the first day ye shall put away leaven out of your houses. For whosoever eateth leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that soul Shall be cut off from Israel. And in the first day there shall be an holy convocation, and in the seventh day there shall be a holy convocation to you. No manner of work shall be done in them, save that which every man must eat; that only may be done of you. And ye shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for in this south same day have I brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore shall ye observe this day in your generations by an ordinance forever. In the first month on the fourteenth day of the month at even ye shall eat unleavened bread until the one and twentieth day of the month at even. Seven days shall there be no leaven found in your houses. For whosoever eateth that which is leavened, even that soul shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he be a stranger or born in the land. Ye shall eat nothing leavened. In all your habitation shall ye eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said unto them, Draw out and take you a lamb according to your families, and kill the Passover. And ye shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel, and the two side posts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out at the door of his house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians, and when he seeth the blood upon the lintel and on the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the house, and will not suffer the destroyer to come in unto your houses to smite you. And ye shall observe this thing for an ordinance to thee and to thy sons forever. And it shall come to pass, when ye be come to the land which the Lord will give you, according as he hath promised that ye shall keep this service. And it shall come to pass, when your children shall say unto you, What mean ye by this service? That ye shall say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, which passed over the houses of the children of Israel and Egypt when he smote the Egyptians, and delivered our houses, and the people bowed the head and worshipped. And the children of Israel went away and did as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. So did they. And it came to pass that at midnight the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on his throne, unto the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the cattle. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants, and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. And he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise up and get you forth from among my people, both ye and your children of Israel. Go and serve the Lord as ye have said. And take your flocks and your herds as ye have said, and be gone and bless me also. And the Egyptians were urgent upon the people that they might send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We be all dead men. And the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading troughs being bound up in their clothes upon their shoulders. And the children of Israel Israel did according to the word of Moses, and they borrowed of the Egyptians jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment. And the Lord gave the Egyptians favor, the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they lent, or better, gave unto them such things as they required, and they spoiled the Egyptians. And the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 on foot that were men beside children. And a mixed multitude went up also with them, and flocks and herds, and even very much cattle. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough which they had brought forth out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not tarry, neither had they prepared for themselves any victual. Now the sojourning of the children of Egypt who dwelt in Egypt uh, was four hundred and thirty years, and it came to pass at the end of the four hundred and thirty years, even the south same day it came to pass that all the host of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It is a night to be much observed unto the Lord for bringing them out from the land of Egypt. This is that night of the Lord to be observed of all the children of Israel and their generations. And the Lord said unto Moses and Aaron, This is the ordinance of the Passover. There shall no stranger eat thereof. But every man's servant that is bought for money, when thou hast circumcised him, then shall he eat thereof. A foreigner and an hired servant shall not eat thereof. In one house shall it be Thou shalt not carry forth aught of the flesh abroad out of the house. Neither shall ye break a bone thereof. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. And when a stranger shall sojourn with thee and will keep the Passover to the Lord... Let all his males be circumcised, and then let him come near and keep it, and he shall be as one that is born in the land. No uncircumcised person shall eat thereof. One law shall be to him that is homeborn, and unto the stranger that sojourneth among you. Thus did all the children of Israel, as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, so did they. And it came to pass the self same day that the Lord did bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their armies. The commandment, Thou shalt have no other gods before me, the first commandment, is the basic, the root commandment of all laws. Those who obey this commandment are members of God's covenant, The two basic rites or rituals of the covenant are, in the Old Testament, covenant, the uh, circumcision and Passover, and in the new, baptism and communion. It is important for us to understand the meaning of these covenant rites. First of all, circumcision. Circumcision was instituted as the sign of the covenant with Abraham. And at the same time that God ordained circumcision, he made it clear that the requirement of the covenant is obedience to God's moral law. Circumcision is required by the law of Moses in Leviticus 12.3, On the eighth day it was required of all who took the Passover and we cannot understand circumcision apart from the fact that although circumcision was common in antiquity and into relatively modern times of all cultures around the world it differed radically from what you find in other cultures. Now, anthropologists, as they analyze biblical circumcision, they say, of course, this was a common rite in antiquity and in in modern times of every civilization we encounter. Now, this is true, but of course, they do not tell us the origin of it. And we cannot understand this apart from the fact that apparently all nations in the beginning had a general revelation from God which made clear the fact of circumcision. They cannot account for the fact of circumcision and its universality. We believe, of course, that it was ordained by God And it was established with Abraham. How it passed to other peoples, or whether it had been assigned previously to Noah and had disappeared in Abraham's family, we do not know. But we do know that its beginnings in the Bible are with Abraham. Its meaning was made clear from very early years, from Abraham's days that what it signified was this, that even as the foreskin of the male organ was cut off, so man was to realize there was no hope in himself or in generation or any act of man as far as saving himself was concerned, that there is no hope in generation or in any generation of man. But man's hope instead is in regeneration. Moses repeatedly speaks of the symbolic meaning of of circumcision. He says, for example, circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no more stiff-necked, that is, rebellious against God. And he declares, the Lord will circumcise thine heart and the heart of thy seed to love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul that thou mayest live. Another basic difference between pagan circumcisions and biblical circumcision appears in the fact that biblical circumcision was required on the eighth day if circumstances prevented it, it was to be as soon thereafter as possible. Now, this in itself is a remarkable fact which indicates clearly revelation required on the eighth day. Why? Why not on the first or the second or the third day? Well, the answer is that recently we have discovered that the blood of the child the first seven days of its life after birth does not permit coagulation so that any operation runs the very, very great risk of bleeding to death. So that circumcision during the first seven days would probably result in the bleeding to death of the child. But beginning on the eighth day, the blood coagulates. Now, all pagan circumcisions were performed at the onset of maturity, when the boy was about 13 or 14. Here is a remarkable difference. In all pagan circumcisions, the meaning of circumcision was that now that the young man was reaching maturity, he now had adult capacities and was able, in effect, to save himself. Because pagan cultures also recognized that there was something wrong with the race of mankind. That mankind was tainted it did have propensities to evil so that mankind was faced with a problem it needed saving but the basic thesis of mankind in all paganism as well as in all humanism today was that man was able to save himself and so With this act of circumcision of the boy when he reached maturity or began his adolescence, there was signified his initiation into the male fraternity of those who are now going to rule and save mankind. It was a doctrine of self-salvation. But as administered to a child on the eighth day, In such an act, the child was wholly passive. The child did nothing except to receive the right. It set forth the total, the sovereign grace of God that this covenant right which set forth salvation represented not an act of man. It was not man who saved himself but it represented the fact that it was entirely of God and all man does is to receive it and his reception of it is passive. Circumcision, therefore, symbolized justification, regeneration, and sanctification. The sign of the covenant in the New Testament was very early set forth to be baptism. In the Old Testament, the priests were symbolically baptized when they put on their garbs to set forth that which was to come when the great great high priest, Jesus Christ, came. And so the priests were symbolically washed, that is, they were sprinkled or, or aspersed. And in Ezekiel 36:25 and 26 we have a sign of the new covenant set forth as baptism and as sprinkling. And so it is that biblical baptism being patterned after circumcision as the sign of the covenant of membership in the covenant is to be administered to children. To adults only when they become converts late in life but children of believers are to be circumcised to indicate, are to be baptized even as in the Old Testament they were circumcised to indicate their membership in the covenant to indicate the fact that salvation is the act of God not of man it is entirely of grace Now the other great covenant right is Passover, the communion of the Old Testament. And the Passover was to celebrate the redemption of Israel, which was from Egypt. Nine plagues had been passed against Egypt. These nine plagues had laid Egypt low, but... Egypt was still unwilling to surrender the Israelites to release them from their slavery. And so came now the culminating judgment, the culminating plague against Egypt, the death of all the firstborn, of man and beast. Only those who placed themselves under the blood of the Lamb, signifying Jesus Christ, the Messiah who was to come, and who killed the sacrificial lamb and sprinkled the blood upon the side posts and the lintel of the door were spared from the death of the firstborn. And so it was that night all Egypt found death striking every household, the firstborn. Now, the firstborn symbolically represents in antiquity and until fairly recent times the totality, in that the firstborn represented the head of the household that was to take the place when the father passed on. He was the head of the clan, as it were. And so the death of the firstborn represented the death of the whole. As St. Paul, echoing this, declared in Romans, if the first fruit be holy, then is the lot, that is, the totality, holy, in that the first fruit, you see, represents the whole. So the death of the firstborn represented God's judgment against all of Egypt. Now this was a literal salvation. They were slaves. They were released from bondage by this judgment which the Passover set forth. So that when they ate it, that is the Passover lamb, thus shall ye eat it, with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand. and ye shall eat it in haste, ready to move. Ready to move how? Ready to move in terms of the fact that before the night is over and before you have finished the meal, if you dawdle over it, you won't be able to eat because your salvation will have come. And we read that in the middle of the night, they were already on their way because Pharaoh said, Get out of the land. We have been destroyed by you and your God. So they ate with their staffs in their hand, with their sandals uh, on their feet. And in those days, people took off their shoes at the door, oriental fashion, when they came in. But they ate in the house with their sandals on their feet, their loins girded, that is, belted up, ready to move. It was not only a spiritual salvation, it was a physical redemption. They were literally slaves. With this eating, they were to be free men. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now, the salvation of Israel was their deliverance from slavery in Egypt. It was spiritual, it was physical. Our salvation is the cross of Christ and His resurrection. It is for us also a physical as well as a spiritual redemption. It declares that God is able to overthrow and destroy our enemies, to deliver us from the bondage of sin and death, to redeem us from all our enemies. Unfortunately, in the Church today, the sacrament has been made too spiritual Its meaning has been limited to the spiritual aspect. But if we are to see it as exactly that which the Passover was, the New Testament Passover, we must, therefore, as we partake of the sacrament, recognize that it declares unto us that the God who destroyed Egypt is able to destroy the tyrant and the enemy today. We take it, therefore, to signify that we believe that Jesus Christ has died to redeem us from sin, that he is the Lamb of God, our Passover Lamb, this all of the New Testament declares, that he is also our deliverer from the enemies round about us, that we are to take it in this faith and in this confidence. But this is not all. What is the meaning of the Passover as it is declared? It shall come to pass when your children shall say unto you, What mean ye by this service? that ye shall say, it is the sacrifice of the lord's passover who passed over the children houses of the children of israel in egypt when he smote the egyptians and delivered our houses and the people bowed to the head and worshiped now the whole of the passover was geared to teaching the children the meaning of God's salvation as well as celebrating it as a household so that the youngest male child in the family who was old enough to talk and to understand was to ask at the Passover this question, what mean ye by the service? And the father, as he officiated, was to make known to that child the meaning of the service. This meant, therefore, that the children participated, did they not? Now, at this point, I have very few in any branch of the church who agree with me, but I have found none yet to tell me wherein I am wrong in my interpretation of Scripture. But when we come to the New Testament, we find that the Lord's table was celebrated by the people of God Sunday evening. Why? Because Sunday was a work day for them. It was not a legal holiday in those days. So when did they meet? In the evening in the home. And what does Paul tell us in Corinthians as he deals with the sacrament? It was in those days a potluck dinner because these men came from work long hours. The women folk brought the food there. They had the service and then they ate. Now the children all ate, did they not? And we have from the records of the early church and the early church fathers that the children... Did eat. Now, even after, in terms of the injunction of Paul, it became a symbolic meal the bread and the wine instead of a full meal, as in the very early years. The children still partook of it. And the service was geared to making known to the children the meaning of the Lord's redemption. not understand until we go to the origins of the Lord's Supper in the Passover, the totality of its meaning, it sets forth the whole salvation of our God, and if we take it only believing that we are saved from our sins, and that is all, important though that is, we are neglecting A basic meaning. It means salvation from sin and death on the one hand, and that God will destroy our enemies materially on the other hand. This is the double aspect of the Lord's table. But there is another aspect of the original celebration which we have in the thirteenth chapter of Exodus and must be discussed in connection with it. Briefly, because our time is short. In the thirteenth chapter, we read that in the first two verses, and verses eleven through sixteen, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Sanctify unto me all the firstborn, whatsoever openeth the womb among the children of Israel both of man and of beast it is mine what does this mean? now the Passover was a witness to blood in a double sense the term blood is a common one in scripture we cannot understand the Bible without understanding the meaning of blood Now the idea of blood is of life taken violently, of death. And as we read the various passages of scripture, as they deal with blood, we find first that there is no greater act of love or of sacrifice or of service than a sacrifice unto blood. Greater love hath no man. And to lay down his life for his friend. Second, the greatest evil is to take life against the law of God. No life can be taken apart from the law of God. Third, the penalty for taking life unlawfully is death. And fourth, the only possible atonement is life for life. Blood for blood. Now, the Passover was a double witness to blood. On the one hand, it re- was required of Egypt for unbelief. So that on the night of the Passover, the blood of the firstborn of Egypt was shed, it was taken. God killed them. Now, what does this tell us about communion? Communion, therefore, is life to us because it is death to the ungodly. So that the act of communion has a double meaning, does it not? It is life to the people of God. It signifies their salvation by the Lord because it is at one and the same time a sentence of death upon the Egypt round about us. Now how can we partake of the Lord's table without setting forth its meaning? It becomes a superstitious rite if the meaning is not proclaimed and understood. It is death to the world round about us when it is properly celebrated when we affirm its meaning by faith but Israel was no less sentenced to death for its sins because it was unbelieving and doubting and stumbling to the last moment there was no merit in them to save them It was of the grace of God, because they were the covenant people of God. And so in the sentence of death passed against Israel, who assumed the death? The Lamb, the Lamb of God, who set forth the Messiah who was to come. So that when John the Baptist first saw Jesus as he began his ministry, He pointed to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. And what did Jesus Christ do as he prepared the last week his disciples for the cross, for his death? He declared at the same time the sentence of death upon Jerusalem, upon all Judea, did he not? he pointed to the temple and he said not one stone shall be left standing upon another he passed a death sentence upon the whole land so that his atoning death was at the one time at one and the same time life to the people of God death to the enemies of God. This, then, is the double meaning of the Passover and of the cross of Christ, of the Lord's table. Now the command, Thou shalt have no other gods before me, requires that a man know that his only hope of salvation is in the blood of God's sacrifice, the Lamb of God, to live in grateful obedience, therefore, to God. To recognize that all blood is governed by God and his law Word, And to eat or drink or do nothing apart from God. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin, St. Paul declares. Now, in this chapter, the thirteenth, Moses called for the redemption of the firstborn of Israel. He said, every firstborn of man and beast, verses 11 through 13, as well as verses 1 and 2, belongs to me because I have spared your firstborn by the sacrifice of my firstborn, symbolically set forth in the land therefore it must be given to me, signifying that the whole must be given to me, so that every firstborn child had to be redeemed, that is, a payment had to be made to God, signifying that the child was brought back from God. Every firstborn of the livestock had to be redeemed or it had to be killed if it were not redeemed because it belonged to God. The man could not keep it. It set forth, therefore, the fact that they recognized that God had given his only begotten son to die for them rather than passing the sentence of death upon them. So in the redemption of the firstborn, they confirmed that which was set forth in the covenant in circumcision. It was the Old Testament rite of confirmation. Now Christ is declared by all of the New Testament to be our firstborn and our first fruit. Christ, our first fruit, is sacrificed for us. Ourselves also which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body and so Saint Paul declares our salvation in Christ being therefore of soul and body the culmination of it will be in the new creation the resurrection of our body as well as of our soul so that we shall live in the new creation in perfect redemption in a physical life in a glorified body as well as a resurrected soul for that which the Lord's table sets forth as well as the Passover is a total redemption body and soul let us pray Our Lord and our God, we give thanks unto thee for thy so great salvation. And we pray, our Father, that thou wouldst make the people of God in this generation mindful. That the sacrament sets forth not only the salvation of our souls, but the judgment of death against thine enemies. Grant that in this faith and this confidence we may move to prepare ourselves in the days ahead for the judgment that shall fall upon thine enemies, and for our triumph and our redemption in and of thee, through Jesus Christ our Lord. In his name we pray, amen. Are there any questions now?
0: <clears throat> yes.
1: yes. Well, the first question is that this ordinance is to continue forever. That is, to the end of time. Right. Uh, this is true. But the ordinance is continued today in the Lord's table. Because, you see, our Lord, at the Last Supper, began the service as the Passover. And then, as the service came to a conclusion, he said, Now, in effect, this is the new Passover. It is my body and it is my blood shed for you. So that the whole meaning of the Last Supper, as our Lord instituted uh, the Last Supper, on that night in the upper room, was to declare, here it is, to continue forever. Do this in remembrance of me, the Passover. So that the uh, sacrament of the Lord's table used to be spoken of as the Christian Passover. It is continued. And it is to be continued to the end of time. Because also according to the New Testament, we are now the Israel of God. Why did our Lord call twelve disciples? To indicate that because the old Israel and the old twelve tribes were now apostate and were no longer the chosen people of God, He was calling out of them twelve to indicate this, the church, is the true Israel of God. Thus, we are now the true Israel. And this was pointed out some years ago in a very fine statement by Pope Pius XII when he declared,
0: spiritually,
1: we are all, that is, we Christians are all Semites. In other words, we are the true Israelites. Oh, let's see, the other answer was with respect to St. <laughs> Paul. Paul Yes, except it doesn't work that way and uh, the fact is that Saint Paul indeed did persecute Christians and was responsible for their death. But it was God who redeemed him. Now, those who say, I will do thus and so, are saying that I am my own Savior, uh, now or in the future, so it makes no difference. I will take care of the situation. They are thereby affirming themselves, in effect, to be their own gods. They will manage their own salvation in their own good time. But God took and saved St. Paul, even as he did the thief or murderer on the cross. By his own sovereign grace yes why the emphasis on unleavened bread also? yes uh, why the emphasis on unleavened bread first of all you find if you go to Schofieldian interpreters that leaven is said to mean sin this is not true because otherwise why were leavened offerings Required for certain offerings that you took to the temple or to the tabernacle. Leaven signifies corruptibility. It uh, signifies that which can, for example, mildew or spoil or uh, get, uh, rotten. Now, the offerings that man took to God were leavened offerings to signify that that which man did could pass away. Our leavened offerings, for example, are building churches, which can in time decay or be torn down or be taken over. Our offering is work for the Lord which passes away, which changes. But when it is God's offering as it is, you see, in the Passover, what does it signify? The body and blood of Christ. The unleavened bread, the body, and the meat, the Passover lamb, the blood. Now, signifying Christ, whose work is incorruptible and does not pass away, it therefore, therefore it could not be with leaven. It was incorruptible. Yes, Jeanette, you had a question. Uh, this is a good question uh, about the celebration of the sacraments here. We're not formally a church. This is the reason why we have not observed any of the sacraments. But in the very near future, we are going to ask a committee to get together to see what answer we can come up with with respect to this. So we are planning to take a step, since so many of you have raised the question, to remedy this problem one way or another. Yes. Know this, that in Israel, every believer, everyone who was faithful to the covenant, had to, first of all, circumcise their child, which we do in baptism, the same uh, basic rite. Then, to confirm this, they went to the sanctuary, the first available opportunity, and they redeemed the child. That is, they made a payment so that they could take back the child. Otherwise, the child belonged to God and legally was under sentence of death. Because this was... What? All right, this way. Since every Israelite had to redeem his child and the firstborn of all his flock, we similarly are under the same law. That is, we're under sentence of death, and this is symbolically passed against our firstborn. How is it fulfilled? Literally, our firstborn is given over unto death, in that we are now the household of faith, the family of God, and God gives his firstborn. You see... And the sentence of death is passed against him. So that St. Paul speaks of Christ as being our firstborn. And we are called by St. Paul the church of the firstborn. This is one of the words, a uh, terms used for the church, one of the names. The church of the firstborn. So that Christ dies as our firstborn. Yes. Yes. Firstborn male in that he represented the head and it was the firstborn of the, uh, woman or of the female with the livestock. So it was not the man's firstborn. It was the woman. Because it specifies whatsoever openeth the womb. So it was the firstborn of the female of man and beast. It be what? It
0: could be a girl man. A, it could be a uh, No, it was the
1: uh of the beasts it was anything and everything, but uh it was the male of uh, they,
0: didn't
1: have a they, didn't have uh they just had daughters then <laughs> <laughs> yes, this uh, uh this uh, symbolism has been drawn by the church fathers but we don't have it in the scriptures now yes it, it's a good uh symbol uh and it, there's nothing wrong with it uh, all we have to say is it isn't a part of the biblical symbolism, so that while we can say it's a useful and a beautiful symbol, we, we cannot read it into the Bible since we're not given any grounds for it. Yes. As I say, it's, it's a beautiful uh, analogy and I think it's a good one. We don't, we can't
0: hear, so we don't we
1: yes, the fact that the uh, resurrection came on the eighth day after the full week, that uh, circumcision signifying regeneration also came on the eighth day resur- uh, as an analogy to resurrection it's a beautiful one which the church fathers drew uh, so there is a beautiful analogy there but since the scripture does not itself draw the analogy we must distinguish between the fact that it is a fitting one it's a good one but the scripture doesn't tell us there is this analogy so there's a, a line of distinction there we must recognize yes 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 now here we have a problem with words because Exodus says they borrowed and they lent here you have older meanings of the word that uh, we don't recognize for example uh, to us borrow and lent has the strict idea of a temporary loan something that is to be returned but When the King James Version was translated, it had the meaning of taking and of giving. Now, what happened was this. They had been slaves, you remember. Now, they said, we are demanding wages. Pay us off. We work for nothing. We're entitled to wages. And the Egyptians gave it to them to get them out of the land. They didn't want him around. Okay, here, we're paying you off tonight. Get out. This was the meaning. So that this is a part of the uh, changing nature of language which we encounter several times in Scripture. I've cited before the fact that Paul says, quit ye like men, which means acquit yourselves. Perform like men. And during World War II, one commanding officer, when a... A tract was, uh, passed out by an Episcopal chaplain with this across the, uh, front. Quit ye like men and blew his stash because he read the word quit in a totally modern sense, which was not that intended by St. Paul.
0: Yes. that they uh, take your, your wages and get
1: out of it. Uh, a good question uh, the Egyptians knew this death sentence was coming because Moses made the witness to all of them and then you read that uh, it was a mixed multitude that left in verse 38 and a mixed multitude went up also with them. So 600,000 men, which means about 2 million Israelites, plus foreigners, that's what's meant by the mixed multitude, Egyptians and other peoples who, believing what Moses and Aaron had declared, had preserved themselves by uh, celebrating the Passover themselves also.
0: Do you have any uh, evidence in the Bible that this mixed multitude that followed him became merged in the... Yes,
1: uh, very definitely. Even in the wilderness journey, we have references to some of the people from this mixed multitude. They were now Israelites. So they were actually a part of the people, and within a generation or two, they had mixed in with them. Now, when you actually estimate the blood of Abraham in Israel, it was a very small strain because, first of all, in Abraham's household, we read that he had a few hundred fighting men, did he not? So that when he went to battle, he took a few hundred men into battle with him which means that he left the boys and the old men back at home tending the flocks. So, if you estimate the men of fighting age at about a third, you would have to estimate he had 1,200 males in his household. And perhaps a household of twenty-four 2,500 people all total. Now, this was the family of Abraham, the chosen people of his day. Isaac represented, therefore, within Israel of the day, one 2,500th Abrahamic blood. Now, when they went into Egypt, there were about a 120 with the blood of Abraham, of Jacob and his sons, but all the rest, numbering a number of thousands of all this household, you see, were not of Abrahamic blood. So, hence the importance of the genealogies, you see, because the genealogies helped trace those who were strictly of Abrahamic blood in terms of knowing the line of the Messiah who was to come. Well, it was Egyptian, it was, say, Ammonite, Moabite, and so on. We know, for example, that uh, David had a Moabite grandmother, Ruth, and we know that several other foreigners were married into the line of David, quite a few, so that uh, it was a very lightly uh Jewish blood a good deal of the time. In fact, uh David was a redhead according to scripture. I was
0: wondering whether there some real dark people that he where were they at that point? You know, the people both these hands
1: and ham. Where were they, the, where were they, the, where were they the? well the Hamitic people in antiquity were not dark in the modern sense. We have all kinds of inscriptions and uh, reliefs on the walls of the Hamitic peoples. Now, the Ethiopians are among the Hamitic peoples of today, and so are the Arabs, uh, some of the Arabs, the Egyptians. But, even though the uh, Ethiopians to this day reveal very strong... uh, and non-Negroid features, they have been so mixed with Negro blood that uh, they have become very dark. But actually, the strict Hamitic features in Ethiopia have very classic and beautiful lines. And they still maintain a difference. You have three groups in Ethiopia today that have uh, very little to do with each other. The uh Ethiopians the arabs and the negroes and there is quite likely to be extensive civil war between the three when hari selassie dies and already uh the negroid peoples are in warfare against the others so at night there is another law that prevails the the uh Well, the Negro uh, peoples, their origin, uh, we don't know from the Bible, except that this is the thing we must realize. As people separated after the days of Noah and went into various parts of the world, they began to breed in terms of certain standards that the different peoples considered to be beautiful, so that... Over the centuries, you had a pronounced development of certain tendencies that uh, a people considered to be ideal. Now, the Negro peoples went into the central part of Africa. There were no Negroes in South Africa. When the Dutch settled there about the same time that New York was settled, they settled in an uninhabited area. The Negro peoples at that period were not very numerous. They increased under the white man's rule. They were a very small people in population in terms of the world population. Rhodesia had only a handful of Negroes when the white men went there. All right. These were peoples who had bred in terms of certain standards and had developed in that direction, you see, by selective breeding, just as plant animal breeders can breed and breed and in a time develop a particular strand. For example, your Western peoples are just beginning to change their tastes, and so we are not, we who represent the Western peoples, we are changing very rapidly in our looks. And the most conspicuous way in which we are changing is that what was once regarded as as a sign of great beauty from the Middle East to the north of Europe is no longer so regarded. And this is the eagle-beak nose. Now, the eagle-beak nose was always regarded as a sign of tremendous beauty, of virility, of health, of strength. Well, in the last hundred years, This has been a liability rather than an asset. And yet, actually, our ancestors were... In fact, uh, it used to be the case that if a child, uh, when it was born, had a small nose, I've called this to your attention before, what the parents did was to take and work it, to make it eagle beak in shape and longer. Now, there was a good reason for this. The uh, larger nose is able, because of the multitude of fine uh, uh, blood cells inside the nose, to take the air that you breathe, to render it sterile, to warm it to the exact temperature so that it goes to your lungs as good, healthy, clean air. So that, you see, people with the eagle-beak nose had a better ability to survival. Whereas, because in Africa the standard that became, and inscriptions and carvings reveal this, increasingly the ideal, the flat, broad nose, doesn't have the same ability at preparing the air, and with a warm climate, who needed it? This is why... The Negro peoples in uh, climates like ours in America, and especially in Canada, have a low survival rate when they're not in a welfare economy. They die out. They have a high susceptibility to uh, diseases, especially respiratory diseases, TB and other things, colds, pneumonia. So, you see, uh, our ancestors knew what they were doing, and they said that an eagle beak was a sign of virility, of health, of strength, and a strong man was a man with a good masculine eagle beak. They knew more than we, uh, in this respect. Yes? uh, Yes, but they do have a long nasal passage. Yes. Well, our time is really up. We've wandered far drift, but we'll continue next week with the Law of Covenant Membership.
0: Authorized by the Calcedon Foundation. Archived by the Mount Olive Tape Library. Digitized by ChristRules.com. 18 plus.